Welcome to Market Mentors, a podcast for the marketing leaders of today and tomorrow. I'm Fiona Jensen, a director and co-owner of Market Recruitment. For over a decade, I've been helping B2B marketeers find the best jobs with great companies. Together, we'll discover how marketing experts reach the top and learn from their experience. Ask career-related questions you can't get answers to elsewhere. Be tough, be challenged, be mentored. Drawing on a wealth of experience working with tech companies like Dell, Avaya and 8x8, Debbie Robertson worked with early pioneers in the adoption of e-commerce and cloud solutions and talks passionately about the need for an integrated marketing approach. She also shares her philosophy on why you need to know your numbers, why it's important and how it can help defend your marketing budget in the future. Debbie also talks us through her personal approach when starting a new leadership role, sharing robust tools which we can all benefit from in the world of business. So with the lovely Debbie Robertson, thanks ever so much for meeting us in uh, leafy Hampshire today. Much appreciated. Um, Debbie has a wealth of uh, B2B technology experience, about 20 years, I understand, and is marketing director, CMO level. Yes, that's right. Um, I've enjoyed 20 happy years working with some great people. I started my career in technology with the cable industry. when we were digging up trees across the nation. Um, (laughs) Seems a long time ago now, but that really introduced me to technology, if you like. And then I went on to work for Dell at a time when we were trying to introduce the business world to e-commerce and persuade them that they would like to order online. Somebody did say to me at one stage during that that this buying direct things never going to take off but of course <laughs> as we know it has so that's how I started it's like the world now isn't it yes it is it is it's the only way to go yeah but there was it took a quite a bit of persuasion for people to trust it and get used to it I can imagine exciting times frontline yeah. experience yeah. there <laughs> bound to be able to tap into that I'm sure. (laughs) So um, originally this podcast is aimed at helping people who are maybe job hunting right now so Mm -hmm. a little bit of practical advice for them initially if that's all right Debbie. Um, Having interviewed a host of B2B marketeers over the years what advice would you give them to perform better at interview? I think the big thing that I say to people is when you walk in the room understand that they want you to be the one. I think a lot of us go into a room and a lot of candidates come into the room a little bit nervous, which is the thing that you try really hard not to be because if you can be relaxed, you'll come across a lot better. But I think you do need to remember that they want you to be the one and remember that when you walk in. That's fantastic advice, actually. I haven't heard that anywhere. But now that you've said it, it makes perfect sense. Be the one. I like that. Um, If you were interviewing for a B2B marketing role yourself, what would you need answering in order to feel confident it is the one for you from the company perspective? I think once you've you've talked about all the necessary pieces of um, what does the role entail, what is the, the package that you might be negotiating, for me, it's, is the chemistry right? I think often um, you, alongside other people, on paper will look right, otherwise you wouldn't be in the room in the first place. But for me, then, it's about, am I talking to who I'm going to be working with? Is there a chemistry, and do I feel that we're going to get on with each other? When often there's pressure 
in any of the roles that we do. But when that pressure is on, are you still going to have a relationship that's going to be able to work through that together to the right outcome? And you're going to enjoy working with that person, that you respect them. Um, are you going to learn something from them? So I think that reporting line and who it actually is you work with and for is extremely important and is important to me. That makes sense. And when you're assessing chemistry from your perspective, what sort of things do you measure or or assess when you're in that situation? Because within interviews, it's difficult to say, hey, Bob, you know, do you you like going to pubs? Do you drink? You know, are you normal? Do you throw throw things in the morning? (laughs) Yeah, you know, what do you do when you're really angry? Tell me. Uh, You know, it's tough, isn't it, to try and assess that? Yeah, I think... um, You can tell a lot by people's body language, I think, and the way they approach the interview. Are they relaxed themselves in that interview situation? Um, I think if you've got some common ground, you maybe have worked with uh, people, colleagues that you both know. Do you share an interest? Have you managed to get them to talk about themselves in the interview? Or have they done nothing but answer questions? So have they opened up to me during that interview process. Obviously, as you as you go on through your career, the number of interviews that you have to do in order to get a role ultimately at, say, director and CMO level, I think the most I've ever done is six. Um, you do get to spend quite a bit of time with the person you're working for. And I think mm. if you don't get to do that, you should ask. So if it's just been a brief conversation over the phone or something, because the other thing that happens often when um, there's a lot of, especially in technology, US corporations that ultimately own the technology businesses in the UK. Um, And so you do end up with your final interviews, usually with the US senior leaders um, over the telephone or over video. If you can do it over video, although... We're all a little bit nervous about doing conference calls and being seen on the video, but try and do that because you can at least then get to see them. If you're not going to... We can't all get flown over to the States to be interviewed. You may be lucky if they've come this way, this side of the pond, and you get to meet them face-to-face. But at the very least, try and do it as a video conversation if that's the person that you're going to be reporting into, which is often the case when you're working for an American corporation. When you can look into the eyes. Yes. Yeah, and just... And (coughs) And they really are windows to the soul. That's very true. That's very true. But if you do um, have the opportunity to meet them face-to-face, just see if you can get them to talk a little bit about them as well as them asking you about you and Mm. see if there's some common ground there, whether it's a relaxed conversation. It's it's tricky because you're making a big decision in the space of about an hour based on an hour's conversation. But you do have to trust your instincts, I think. Go with your gut. Yeah, I think we've all been there thinking, or we've said later, I knew that wasn't right. Yeah. I knew that wasn't right. So do, tr- do trust your instincts. And if you, the other advice I always give is, if you know someone that knows them, don't be afraid to say, I'm thinking of taking this offer. Get your own references. Get your own references. Yeah. They're busy getting references on you. Mm. Do it back the other way, is my yeah. advice. Yeah. And it's something that I will certainly do. Yeah, lovely. Good advice there, definitely. What's the most valuable marketing skill you can have, do you think? Um, I, think it's, I think marketing is all about the art of persuasion. You have to be a persuader. You're either trying to persuade some budget out of your company, persuade them that this is a campaign they should run, persuade the salespeople to trust you that this is going to work, persuade people to come and work in your team, and ultimately persuade the customer they're going to buy. You're in the, you're in the, um, the business of persuasion. You can have a lot of enthusiasm. Marketers 
we start things from the beginning with a catalyst often that brings everything together nobody hands us um, a document that says this is exactly what you're going to do this is the product that you're going to create you have to be up and enthusiastic about what you're doing otherwise it's going to be really really hard work and if I can have a third um, the ability to write um, to create the story to create content Uh, I think when you start your career yes you're there people are giving you content and you are using different media channels to get that out to your audience as you go through your career you do need to try and um, start to write whether it's a piece of social media, whether it's just a little piece for the website, whether you start to write the internal commu- internal newsletter, start somewhere, start with that blank piece of paper. The minute you've written that first sentence, the rest will flow. Um, but that is a skill that I worry about is being lost. Um, I know there's a move towards, like with the Content Marketing Association, yeah. it is a skill set that's becoming very recognised and I think it's becoming rarer. Mm. So if you can be someone that feels comfortable writing, then absolutely hone that skill set, use it, demonstrate that you can. And no one starts off perfect, do they, with that no. copywriting or storytelling? It takes generations to learn, doesn't it, it, it on does. occasion? So you have to really start somewhere. And I think even if you just throw your thoughts on paper and then you start to edit, mm. I, the way I often do it, it's the same with PowerPoint presentations, I'll end up with... And I've spent years trying not to do it. I'll end up with 50 slides yeah. and then force yourself to get it down to 10. Mm. You'll end up with your two pages. Force yourself to take it down. It will get better and better as you chop it. Mm. But as always, as we know with a press release, make sure the important point you want to make is in paragraph one. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. The headline, isn't it? I yeah. think the headline. that's what most people read before they go further into it. Um, what are the marketing skills of the future, i.e. what do we invest in, growth hacking, inbound, ABM, automation? They're all big buzzwords at the moment. I think B2B marketing have just uh, launched something around ABM in particular, mm. sort of feeling like that's quite a trend or a specialism that's in demand at the moment. But what do you think the future holds? Interestingly, I spent a day um, with ITSMA on um, ABM. Oh. All day, listening from uh, companies in the industry, technology mm. industry, about how they're doing it. It is absolutely a growing trend. And I think um, as it becomes, as we all know with GDPR, we can't just mass mail. We shouldn't be doing that anyway. Mm. We should be targeting. But this is really taking targeting down to um, a fine art. And it forces you to understand the customer Um, to understand their pain points, who the stakeholders are, who the influencers are, and then think about the best way to get them. Um, And I think there's a fine line between stalking a company (laughs) and getting to them in in an interesting and compelling way. Mm. So I think ABM is absolutely a very um, strong skill set that marketers need to make sure they understand and can do. I think they'll also become roles that do nothing but account-based marketing. I'm beginning to see those. I think there are the digital is becoming a skill set all on its own. Social media is often split out. Marketing automation is increasingly becoming important. We almost can't survive without it. If you can't... The automation isn't just about making it easy to get things done quickly. It's also about being able to measure what co- the most important thing really that comes out of that automation is the ability to track and measure. Mm. 
you have to have the systems in place to execute that then enable you to measure. Because without measurement, we can't then justify what it is that we've achieved. And as we all know, that's ultimately, as marketers, what we, what we need to do to the business. But I think, I think there's a very strong move towards each of those job roles. And my fear is that marketing will become too fragmented if we let it. Because when you then look at a senior role, it asks you to integrate everything. It mm. asks you to look across the whole marketing mix. That marketing mix has got wider and deeper because each of the elements now demands a lot of skill. And there's a balance sometimes between, especially in digital, you're almost employing technical people rather than marketers, but they're a mix of the two now. Mm. And that whole skill set takes many years to perfect. So it's becoming difficult for people to work across teams. So certainly if I... Um, I'm looking at how to organise a team. I'm very conscious of I don't want to pigeonhole or silo people into one function or discipline. I want them to learn from each other, integrate, definitely get them around the table so that they swap what it is that they're doing. Otherwise, you are going to end up with a very fragmented marketing function. And then the work that you do becomes very fragmented and what we need, what I think the challenge these days is integration mm. to make sure the same message, same content, same branding is flowing throughout. So um, it all sort of resonates, I yes. suppose, and everyone's doing things from the same vision or for the same vision yes. and experience. Yeah, that but, you're running a proper campaign yeah. rather than individual bits of activity, mm. which then become tactics yeah. rather than campaigns. Mm. So I think um, the, a skill of the future is going to be, can you bring it all together mm. as well as, do I want to be a specialist in one of those areas? So I think it's quite, it's quite challenging for the um, new marketers coming through as to where do they start? Is there a particular area that interests them? And I know something close to your heart is transferable skills. Yep. So just because I've started in digital, I'd like to then look at the automation. I'd like to then look at running a campaign and let me try and write some content for this particular campaign. So my advice to marketers would be try not to become too specialist. You do need to reach outside of your skill set in order to then be able to go forward and transfer skills and ultimately if that's what you'd like to do, manage a team of people. Yeah, because what you've just um, answered there is, is kind of a really good tip, I think, for anyone running a, a specialised or multi-specialism team, because what happens if your ABM specialist falls ill or leaves the business? Yes. You know, does it stop yes. for your company? And if so, what impact is that going to have? You mm. kind of have to, you know, we kind of operate on, on this kind of optimistic pessimism pretty much all the time. It's fantastic, everyone's happy, and then suddenly one person isn't. And then you've got to always ask the what-if question, haven't you? So yes. What if your ABM star leaves? What if your demand generation or field marketing star leave? What happens? Yeah, Are you're there absolutely other people right. in the team? Mm. Or can you, you know, roll your sleeves up and dive in? where necessary mm. as you're trying to find a replacement but also does it become this sort of rabbit warren for the person who is specializing because 
as these niches are coming through the industry, there aren't ABM directors, there aren't marketing automation or uh, marketing operations directors in every company. They're quite forward-thinking businesses who have Mm. them, or very, very large teams, which, let's face it, will have a huge amount of competition for those senior specialist roles. And will you be limiting your own career if you Mm. do specialise too much too early? Agreed. Really valid. Yeah, absolutely. So um, how to get from executive to manager level without experience would be the next audience's question. Um, My experience of it is, and the piece of advice I often give to people, is put your hand up. Yeah. Volunteer. Step outside your... Be the willing victim. Be the willing victim. (laughs) Whatever. We've all heard it. I've got this development opportunity for you, which usually means I've got this job that I can't find anyone else to do. Would you like to have a go? Here's a really nice noose with a fur trim. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But but do it. Step outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. Um, And also, so it's take those opportunities when they're presented to you. Don't think, that's not in my job role. Mm. Take that opportunity to expand, to show what you can do. What's the worst thing that can happen? Somebody put you in a position that you weren't comfortable with. But also, you, there'll be people in the organisation that will help you. The person asking you to do it is going to help you if you step up. And you will have become noticed. You'll have shown that you're willing to step up to the next challenge. Um, and things like um, if a sales guy comes up to you and says, would you like to come on a sales visit? Say yes. Take that time to go and do it. Nobody is ever going to criticise you for wanting to go and get close to the customer. So go, so go and do that. That kind of thing can often, when they're thinking about who should we look at for this next promotion, you can imagine that the sales leader saying, what about that guy, that girl that came with me on that last visit? They, uh, we had a great conversation. Um, somebody asks you to organise a stand at a local exhibition and you've never done that kind of thing before, do it. Um, I don't... I don't um, suggest that you take on a kind of 60 square metre stand at Olympia or something <laughs> but if it's the local business show mm. it's a recruitment show it's the accountancy show and it's just a pop up or something like that then jump in, put your hand up and do it Perfect. How did you make the transition then from being a manager to showing that you could strategically have a big influence on key business decisions? Mm. I had a great opportunity when I was at EasyNet many years ago, to um, go on a finance for non-finance directors course. Because in order for me to start to have the conversation that resonates with senior managers, executive leaders, the board, you have to talk in the same language as them, which is usually in terms of numbers. Mm. Um, By doing that finance for non-finance directors course... Um, it enabled me to start to have that different conversation and to understand what their concerns were about, why they were so worried about cash flow, why they were so worried about margin, why they want to turn the business from annual software licences to subscription licences and what that means, how um, contract value... When do you recognise full contract value? How important the average revenue per user is Mm. to the business? What does the business look like going forward so that you can be ready for key milestones that they're trying to hit. Mm. So for me, and you'll hear this is a bit of a common theme with me, know your numbers. So if you can get on a course like that, and I remember people saying to me, why does a marketing person want to go on a finance course? But this was deliberately set up for people like me that just want a good grounding, a good oversight of 
um, finance, in business, what does it mean? You'll find yourself able to have a much better conversation with non-marketing people and that's and certainly that helped me sort of internal within your own business or has that also helped you with regards to the customers and that mm. financial because you know anything it or tech normally comes with let's face it quite a large ticket at some point exactly. so how do you get tap into the minds of those potential customers yes. and their decision makers you might have salespeople eating out of your hand and desperate for your technology but unless you can convince Mr Purse Strings at the back of the room absolutely you're not going to go anywhere yeah and when you're writing content we're back to that for the finance director the CFO having that kind of knowledge in your head and what is important to him is really helpful but if you know for the what if I could come up with the, the first thing that I did to help me on that road that was it Fantastic, really good advice. Um, what technical skills are needed to jump to a director level position? There's probably some senior marketeers out there who think, oh, I could do that job. Why am I not getting these opportunities yeah. coming through? I think you need to, you definitely need to understand digital, mm-hmm. all things SEO, behavioral targeting, PPC, conversion rates, how you measure it. You don't need to know how to do it. There are very clever people out there that do it. But you have to understand what you want to achieve and how to change things in order to improve your conversion rates, your cost per lead, those kinds of things. So take your time in understanding that. If you've got a digital agency, ask them to explain it to you. If you've got a digital expert in your company or a colleague or there's a course that you can go on, um, I would really encourage you to do that. I think that's a skill set that you you must have. But don't feel you have to be able to do it. You need to understand, in terms of marketing automation, the key pieces. Salesforce, pretty much every business I go into has Salesforce. Again, I don't need to know how to... Um, create a, it's great if you can create your own reports and you can create your own campaigns um, but you need to understand what Salesforce can do for you what information you can get out of it and how to get that information out and because that is a tool it is a tool and in your like, arsenal isn't yeah it? it is and if you've got a sales guy you have the conversation with the sales guy who says I haven't got enough leads. You need to be able to go into Salesforce, find his name, find his opportunities and know whether he really doesn't have any or he's not followed up on them or maybe he's not found them or you've allocated them to the wrong person. You need it to be able to sanity check things that you're being told anecdotally. Mm. And again, a theme that I often come back to is if someone's not happy with with the way things are going or somebody pulls a number out of the air, you must be able to go back and sanity check that. Step back a bit, say, let me take that away and look at it, rather than get embroiled in a conversation or a heated debate about it. Go away, check the facts. There's often somebody's missed something or somebody's been allocated to the wrong place. You need to know enough about your systems in order to be able to do that. Marketo, Eloqua, Pardo, HubSpot, all of those things, you can't be an expert in all of them Mm. um, unless you're the marketing automation person, Mm -hmm. in which case you do need to be an expert in your chosen one or two. Mm. But as a leader, marketing leader, you have to have oversight of what those things can do for you. You also need to understand implementing these things is not easy. They'll be sold to you as it's easy to implement, easy to integrate. 
the real work is in, as we as we often say, rubbish data in, rubbish data out. Mm. There's always a clean up exercise. There's always a process that you, where you have to go back into the data and enhance it, clean it up, delete some, um, so that the automation tools can then do a good job for you. It, it is true that it's only as good as um, what you put in, and. Make sure you integrate it. Don't use the systems in isolation. Marketo needs to talk to Salesforce. Marketo needs to be linked in with the um, contact forms on your website. So that if you, the more you automate, the easier your job gets and the more you can track the journey of the customer or the prospect through your marketing funnel. The big thing that I often come across that people can't use, and it's a really simple one, and I would urge anyone to take time to use it. And again, be bold. You can't break it. It's Excel. Uh-huh. Because when you, you need to create that budget, mm. you need to um, work out your conversion rates. Um, you turn to Excel and it's amazing how many people really don't have a basic skill in it. Um, but that will really help you because more and more over the years, num- numbers are key. Um, conversion rates, percentages, all this kind of thing. Learn how to create them in Excel and run things on an Excel spreadsheet and make sure you do the formulas behind it because otherwise you go back to it. Somebody changes an exchange rate or a conversion rate or a price, you don't want to be doing it all over again manually. Mm. So it's to, to, my, to my mind, one of them is a really simple one and it's good old Excel. Perfect. And I think you're right. There's not a lot of people who say, oh, I'm really good at Excel. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) I think we all sort of actively avoid it. But, yeah, you're probably right. We need to invest a bit more time in that because, you know, if the systems go down, then at least also you have something to fall back on. You can still figure out, you know, what's going on and what's making money and what isn't. And if if you're there, um, often I've been asked to help put together a commission plan, whether you're putting together for your business development reps in the marketing team or you're supporting sales and putting together a commission plan that drives the behaviour that you need or the product set that you need. um, It's done in Excel. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be sat there with the sales guys fumbling around with your formulas when they're, they will be really proficient at it, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you convince someone your marketing plan is the right thing to do? Tie it back to how it achieves the business objectives. Mm. You have to know your numbers. What revenue is the business? It, it's as basic as what revenue does the business want to achieve. There are subtleties there will be within that in terms of is it subscription revenue, is it annual revenue, is it professional services and it's one-off, is it a repeatable, is it a three-year contract to you? There's, there's that detail behind that. But at the end of the day, there's a revenue. What contribution to that revenue is marketing going to sign up for? So you go in the room and you say, this marketing plan will deliver you 20% of the revenue, 40% of the revenue, 60 Don't go for a number that you think is unachievable. As with sales, they're always going to try and negotiate a target that they can achieve. Mm. Marketing has to do the same. Yes, stretch it, sign up to a stretch, but be confident about something that you think this plan will achieve. Mm. You then break that back into, if it's this revenue, how many deals is that? What's the average size of that deal? How many deals do I need? What's the closure rate of the sales team? How many opportunities do they need? Is it three times their sales pipeline? Is it four times their sales pipeline? 
then how many of my leads that I bring in as marketing turn into a qualified lead? That's going to roll all the way back up to this is how many leads I need to bring into the business, so how many touch points do I need to create in order to bring in those leads? That then costs money and resource, and that's how you go in with your plan to say, this is what I'm going to do, this is how much I need. Now, if later in the day the finance guy comes along and says, I want 20% of your budget back, you say, fine, but I'm going to deliver 20% less than I promised. And that's a very powerful argument when the finance director comes in the room, tries to take your budget away from you. So if you build it the right way, it makes life a lot easier to hold on to that budget and have that conversation later. And we come back to finance and understanding the numbers. Um, The other thing, I'm a true believer in involvement equals commitment. You can't design by committee, but lobby your key stakeholders within the business. Discuss the plan with them. In fact, don't even discuss the plan. Ask them what they need. What do they want to see happen? What do they think has been lacking in marketing? What would they like to see marketing do? You can't do everything for everybody, so never say, yes, I'm going to do it, because then you'll disappoint people. But incorporate those things. They will more often than not be what you had in mind anyway, but let them feel they were involved. Giving away all my secrets now. I know, but it's the the most fantastic philosophy, which is so rarely heard in marketing, which is to under-promise but over-deliver, whether that's internal or external. That's just key, isn't it? It's just the way to succeed in Mm. general, I think. And sometimes I've looked at a number, worked it all the way back, and actually gone, do you know what? That isn't possible. (laughs) And... By doing it, it is a way to be able to go to the business and say, and warn them, I know you want to grow at this rate, but the, the universe that you're approaching isn't physically big enough. You know, there's a point at which you run out of customers. Or you look at what are your levers. If we've only got this many prospects, we have to convert at a higher rate somewhere in the process. So how do we, as marketing, help that conversion rate somewhere along the line, um, rather than let's just try and get more and more and more and more prospects because there's actually a finite number Mm. and also if if part of the pipeline is broken or not converting as you say as efficiently as you'd want or feel is realistic then you do have to go back and and kind of do the sort of reverse christmas tree effect almost isn't it like where where is it broken how can you tweak it how can you improve the efficiency because obviously all that energy and effort of filling up the pipeline at the top end has to convert. And if you're going to be stretched and challenged and uh, you know encouraged to keep filling the, the top, then you'll want that conversion rate to improve yes. or at least hold with the, with the weight of that as well. Yeah. I so, like reverse Christmas tree. I'm going to yeah. use that. I prefer that to funnel. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot nicer. I take no credit for that. That's Matt Dodgson <laughs> of Market Recruitment and his most recent YouTube video that I watched and I was like, reverse Christmas tree it's turned my world upside down and I love it I I love love it it. and it gives presents at the end at the bottom if you can get everything through it exactly and I think your point about just while we're talking about plans and resource and money I'm a big fan of spending money on good people because marketing to my mind is actually cost in a way less and less as the years have gone on we no longer take out full pages in newspapers or um, particularly in b2b you're not going to do advertising on the sides of buses or on um, so it's about being clever and for that you need clever smart resourceful people so i think investing in the people 
I'd rather spend the money on another headcount than I would in getting more marketing budget because they can write and create things that don't cost that much money. It's about time and it's about resource. And helping the customer. Mm. Helping the customer to understand and appreciate the value that you can bring. Yes. You know, the adverts are are there often to sort of um, either turn heads, shall we say, or maybe distract sometimes, I think. I look at an advert nowadays and I think... What pickle have you got yourselves into this time that you're having to do this type of advertising? Uh, you know, what's the message? I don't understand. But, you know, you read a really good piece of content on the website or you see a real piece of thought leadership challenging the status quo or, you know, kind of transforming industries mm-hmm. with why are you doing it this way? You know, you could be working more efficiently or effectively or smarter thanks to our tools. And, you know, the value that that creates, the conversation it creates in itself mm-hmm. is is like you say, a lot more value for money and return on investment than any silly old advertising campaign mm. you might find in print nowadays. And the, and the creation of that is what takes the time. You can put an advert up much, much faster, can't you? Yeah. And often those adverts interrupt. That's yes. what drives me mad. Yeah, they do, don't they? Especially yeah. online as well. They just suddenly pop up and you're like, yeah. no. I, really I was in the middle that. of doing. It. <laughs> yeah. I was in the middle of doing something. Yeah, yeah. yeah so you're right. You, I think you have to really <clears throat> think about where people see you and your brand. Mm. I know it sounds really obvious, but no, it does because also call. you know every experience that you create for your customers or potential audience will count towards your overall success at the end of the day. If a pop up annoys, you're much less likely to mm. go back to that brand or consider that option or even look at that company again. Mm. Just from that, you know, you might not even be able to recall necessarily the brand or the message but the experience will have had an impact on that potential client or customer market mentors is produced by pod audio a subscription production service that takes the pain out of podcasting from advice and support to editing and production to music and artwork pod audio has you covered supercharge your podcasting just hit record and let pod audio do the rest Pod Audio. Save time. Sound like a pro. What's the most valuable lesson you've learned in marketing stroke business and how did it come about? You know, I, I mean, I think I've already, we've touched on it several times and I think you could probably predict what I'm going to say. Know your numbers. Mm. Know your numbers. And it's something that I always say to members of my team. And I have spent, and I'm happy to spend a lot of time with them, making sure they understand because then they know what they're contributing to, what they're trying to achieve. And they then can have good conversations with the peers that they're working with as well. Um, and how did it come about? One thing happened to me um, many years ago where I remember standing up in a management meeting and I drew a pie chart and said, I'm going to spend this percentage of the pie chart on brand and this percentage of the pie chart on demand generation. And the CFO came up to the board, took a red pen and put a big cross through the brand bit and said, but all we need is demand generation. So let's not spend any of that brand money and took the money away. So big lesson for me there was, as we know, and it becomes harder and harder to um, keep them joined together, everything works with each other. Everything integrates a PPC campaign on its own won't work. Um, an email campaign on its own doesn't work. But I sent you an email and then you saw an advert and then you read a piece of content and then you saw me at an event is what works ultimately. Mm. Um, 
So I always do try and keep the marketing budget as a whole and say this whole marketing budget, whether it be brand, whether it be pure demand gen, we call it demand gen um, today, but to my mind, it's the marketing tactics that you use. Um, It all contributes to deliver this revenue at the end of the day. So try not to let it get chopped up too much because it makes it really easy to start slicing pieces out of it. Always stress that it works together and you can only deliver what the company needs at the end of it, i.e. revenue and orders and deals, if they leave you your marketing budget intact. So to have that conversation, know your numbers, know what you're trying to achieve at the end of the day in terms of revenue, how many leads you generate and how this plan that you've put together is going to deliver that. And another one is sponsorship. Mm. That's one of the really tough ones. You have to find a way to measure it. There are some smart pieces of technology that'll do it for you, but most companies don't have it um, and don't really want to invest in it because it is expensive unless you're a very large corporation. Find a way to measure it. For example, brand awareness, I would measure by have I increased the visits to the website? It's almost the ultimate measure Mm. Um, because what are you trying to do at the end of the day you want this person to find out more about you how do they do it these days they come to the website first so if you can show an increase month on month in website visitors and hopefully unique visitors be ready for that argument and the Mm -hmm. sales guys say yeah but isn't that lots of people coming back 10 times Mm. uh, because they can't find what they want (laughs) you say no this many this percentage of them are unique visitors your share of voice versus competitors Often, you may have a separate PR department or it may be within yours, but they're often looking at the share of voice. Um, And that can be both on and offline. Um, The sponsorship activation one is that I've dealt with um, in the past where the company is of a mind to do a sponsorship. You persuade the company to give product or to give money to the the entity, the asset Mm. that you're going to sponsor. Find ways of doing it. Did you get a story about the sponsorship in the press? What's that worth if you had booked it, if you had paid for it as an advert? Take that as a value. Did they let you use your prem- their premises? If it's an F1 team, for example, did they let you use their premises mm. to run your channel partner event, to run your customer event? How much would that have cost you if you'd booked it? And mm. you've done it five times a year, there's a value there. They provided you with a speaker. How much is that speaker on the open circuit? What is the value to that? There's a monetization of pretty much everything. You just have to think about it and track it, measure it. At the end of the year, you can say, we spent 250,000, we got 500,000 pounds back. Then, did you accelerate the pipeline? Did deals that went into the pipeline, that got involved in maybe going along to the hospitality, um, seeing the case study on the on the what you've done for the if you can my advice also is sponsor something where you can do something for the asset mm. so if you're going to sponsor an f1 team did they use their product in your product in their communications or not because mm. if so you've then got a story you've then got a demonstration you've of, of what your product did and how they used it and how it improved their their companies at the end of the day themselves mm. how did you help their business whatever it is to um to progress or it needs to be something that you've got an association with so if you're in the business of let's make work flow is it swimming is it cycling Mm. big big um um, sponsorship opportunity i think in this country so find a way to measure 
Um, and if you can see an increase in lead conversion rates or the time scale that it's going, that it takes to go through the pipeline, can you attribute that back to they were involved in that sponsorship in some way? But take the time to try and brainstorm how the hell you're going to measure it. Don't just throw your hands up and say, I can't measure it. So there you have it. There's definitely a way to measure it, but you've got to have a plan when mm. you're going through it. And then uh, what I particularly liked about that, Debbie, was the fact that you said to, to keep measuring it, keep checking it, because I think often, you know, that initial, yay, we've done this sponsorship and it wasn't that exciting and we've done this. Um, but actually marketing and that type of uh, brand awareness or thought leadership often takes quite a few months to sort of almost fall through the funnel, doesn't it? Mm. And if you can try and capture which of those um, sort of journeymen, shall we say, through your pipeline have come through from that or been influenced by it, then it just keeps adding momentum and justification to the initial plan in the first place. And the marketing automation tools these days help you with that. Mm. What are the touch points for each of those clients as they move move through? One of the measures I use, especially when you, if you're launching a new brand in a a region, in a Mm. country, into a market... When someone from an event or a seminar or conference asks you for a speaker for free, mm. then you know you've made an impact. Yeah. It's when you no longer have to pay to be there <laughs> and speak to audience. So that's a big measure for me. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, even with heaps of preparation, coaching and development, a move to a more senior role... Um, this person's obviously at a senior manager position ready to move up to a head of or in the process of moving to a head of um, has uh, spoken to other people around them who have maybe achieved the head of and been told that it's likened the first few weeks to winging it Uh, what advice could you offer someone moving into a senior role where there isn't a huge peer population to support and the pressure is on to make a good impression (laughs) Um, there's no doubt you spend the first three months like a rabbit in the headlights, <laughs> I call it, where you uh, begin to understand what it is that you need to do there, mm. where all of the um, pieces maybe that didn't come up in the interview <laughs> all start to come out and onto the table. Um, and that happens to me still today. So yeah. you have to stay calm and absorb it. And even at my level, I will talk to my peer group outside of the company Mm. so as you say you may not have people within inside the company that you can go and talk to so talk to people that you know are in a similar business or may know some of the characters personalities that you're dealing with um even if you just need to go and lie on their couch for (laughs) half an hour and just talk through i find myself often i'll say to somebody can you help me with this by the time i've finished talking i've actually solved it myself (laughs) and what they did was listen and it enabled me to just work through the problem in my head and that's probably what you need to do. Um, I think the other thing is to talk to people within the organisation. They may not be fellow marketing people, but again, this is part of this involvement. Go around and make sure you they expect you to go and spend time with them. They will notice if you don't. And so you need to make sure that with your key stakeholders, you've gone around and spoken to them, not just the senior people, Either go and talk to the salespeople, go and talk to the telemarketing people, go and talk to the people in customer support, offer to go out on that sales visit and meet a customer, go and talk to the customer experience people, um, the technical support people on the front line um, who hear the best and the worst of it. Um, 
talk to the partners of that business, arrange to go and go and have a conversation with them. So spend that three months absorbing and being seen to absorb. I think that's important for the organisation. Don't shut yourself in an office for three months working up a beautiful plan that you then come out with that everyone thinks, I was never involved in that. If she'd asked me, I could have told her that. Mm. We've already tried that. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try it again, Mm. by the way. Um, But it's this involvement equals commitment. And they've got a wealth of knowledge that you don't have. They can also help you navigate your way through the organisation, understand who your influencers are, and that's all very useful for um, getting your plan accepted going forward. There may already be a plan in place that they've, that they've um, presented to you. Don't necessarily think that it's your job to chuck everything out. I know it's tempting um, to come in and feel that, you have to make a big sweeping change in order to make an impact. There'll be nuggets in there that work perfectly well. You've got enough to do in getting to grips with this organisation and moving it forward and bringing in some things that are new. Um, so if there are things that are nice and stable and working, say hallelujah, hang on to that and let them just, let them just keep going. Um, but as I say, make people in the company feel listened to and more involved. They then support your decisions. Um, And back to my numbers, if there's a budget that you're going to manage and own, get a grip on it early. Don't think that I'll get carried away with things and in six months' time I'll have a look at the numbers and finance will take me through them. Make sure you understand where you are, what's been spent, what the forecast is. More often than not, things have been signed up to for one year, two years. If it's a big sponsorship or something, it might be three years. Or it's a contract with a piece of technology marketing automation make sure you've got hold of that and as you're moving through you often don't realize that during that first three months you are doing things you have changed something you've hired somebody you've changed a process you've put in a a, a, some kind of purchasing procurement process you've appointed an agency write it down write it down write it down so in three months time when you find yourself with they could you come and do your 100 days first 100 days presentation (laughs) you've got a nice list of things that you've done rather than having a bit of a panic and racking your brains thinking what did I do going back through you you literally I found myself going back through my diary saying oh I met with that person and we did that and that was the Mm. day that we did this just write it down on the back of a fag packet or some yeah. or what we most of us do now is in your phone so you don't lose it yeah. hopefully yeah. that's my advice well, that's really good advice and just um on something you touched on there i think especially senior marketeers head of marketing marketing directors are often inheriting teams mm. and um you know i've spoken to witnessed and uh, sort of sympathetically suffered with marketing teams on a whole who have been forgotten Mm. in this induction period where you know they've had the big marketing person coming in everyone's super excited um you know the the marketeer sometimes locks themselves in a room as you say and won't communicate with anybody and kind of leaves people in the dark about you know what's happening what the plan is um but often i think marketing teams because they are in marketing i think heads of and marketing directors can often be maybe um a little bit uh selfish 
mm. and kind of just expect their marketing teams to kind of get behind them and appreciate what their job is mm. and what they're trying to do. But sometimes that communication's forgotten. So I agree with when you. it's your team, Debbie, mm. how do you operate and how would you recommend this head of marketing who's stepping up to really put put arms, wings, whatever it is around the team and sort of bring them along for that journey, especially if they don't have time to really tell them everything. How, how can you manage that effectively, mm. as you say, in that first three months where you've got to be in amongst it everywhere else almost, apart from just in the marketing team? How, how can you do that? We go back, first of all, to a question you asked me earlier, which is one of, what do I like to know in the interview before I accept a role? Mm. One of the questions I always ask is, is there anyone in that team that wanted this job? Mm. Because that's really important to know. Because if there is, you need to have that discussion early on with that person. Mm-hmm. And often they'll tell you. I've, had, I've certainly had a, a great guy um, worked in my team. One of the first things he said to me was, I wanted, your, I wanted this role. I want mm. you to know that. I'm not sure why you've got it and I haven't, and we'll see how we go. Mm. We worked together for three years, gone on famously, and what I said to him was, well, I hope that in the next few months you'll be confident and understand why I got this role, and I hope I can help you understand how to get the role next time. Mm. Because that, that's your job as a leader, is to, is to coach and mentor people in that team who want to progress in order to help them through to that role. So I think that's one of the first things I would say, is find out if there's anyone in that team that wanted your job mm. and is sat there with their arms crossed going, why didn't I get it? Yeah. Because that's going, to be the, that's going to be your biggest influencer that you need to win, that mm. need to win over. Then give the team some structure. Put the first team meeting in the diary so they know that there's going to be this opportunity to hear from you mm-hmm. and um, tell you what they've been doing early on. Mm-hmm. And in fact... Of course, the first thing you would, you would you would do is talk to each member. That that team, those team members have priority. Yeah. You talk to every one of them first. Yeah. Try to get to know them a little bit. That is a priority in the mm. first two weeks. Mm-hmm. I would say certainly no longer than that. And then, as I say, establish when that point of communication to bring them all back together is. Are there team leaders, senior managers that you're going to talk to on a one-to-one basis on a regular? Is it every week? Is it every other week? Um, the other thing they hate is somebody who comes in and sticks loads and loads and loads of more meetings in their diary where they say, I'm really busy and now you just want me to just, tell, you know, be mm. mic- am I being micromanaged? Yep. So what is, think, think carefully about what is the right time frame mm. for that. Some people don't need it at all. They'll just come up to you and ring you and tell you and you'll walk up to them and you'll find yourself interacting every single day Mm. um, quite naturally that you don't need a formal get-together unless you're doing um, quarterly reviews Mm. or however however long you do them in your your business. And then there are some that like, can I have a regular slot once a week? There are those that will say, can I have it every other week because I can't be filling up my diary. And Mm. you can't be filling up your diary. It's very easy to end up with a diary where you suddenly go, I'm in so many meetings and so many calls, I don't get to do anything new, to kick off anything new, to spend time with people. Mm. So be quite firm about pushing back when people start saying, can we meet every week? Say, do we need every week? Should we try fortnightly and then let's see whether Mm. we need to do once a week? And then maybe we push it out to once a month. 
be a because they get very enthusiastic about mm. wanting to get into your diary. Sometimes you just need to push back a bit. Yeah. Did I answer but, the question? But yeah, yeah, but but still that that was the the whole point was if there is a marketing team that you're inheriting to prioritize them so that you can assess. And also, if I'm honest, if you get the the incumbent team behind you oh, yes. then your voice is just going to resonate louder and clearer within the organization but in order to do that you kind of need to assess where they're at sometimes you know they've not had a huge amount of support you know let's mm. face it if a senior leader is looking to leave that's a job in itself <laughs> mm. you know if you're job hunting then you know that's really busy time for anyone in the senior leadership and teams often can drop to the bottom of a priority list yeah through no fault of their own Mm. but if you are inheriting a team then as you say if you take the time to prioritize them initially then you'll have you know five or ten people more potentially you know in your back pocket Mm. happy to you know start pushing marketing back to the forefront Mm. within an organization and also marketing nowadays has a much louder and clearer voice at any table Mm. you know you ask any salesman nowadays and marketing is their buddy it's it's you know you might still have challenging conversations don't get me wrong (laughs) that will long continue it's like the dogs and cats of the world i Mm. think in my opinion marketing and sales but you know if they do cohabit in a Mm. house or in a in an organization and they communicate effectively then it works really well that that is a you know a really successful company in the making or Mm. on its journey and that's because marketing has changed the conversation to how can I help you deliver your revenue rather than do you like this brochure? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the but key difference. the value of marketing mm. has changed yeah. throughout because of that, because of that thought leadership yeah. and because of that approach. And you're right, if you, if you can make that team feel comfortable and also because also they'll be sat there going, am I going to keep my job? Mm. Is she going to make any changes? Or yeah. are you going to make any changes? It's really nerve-wracking. So yeah. you, need to, you need to settle them because there is no doubt other members of the company will be asking the team what you're like yeah. and are they enjoying working for you and how's she doing? So it's extremely important. Really good. Um, so with pressures of general life, how do you manage the work-life balance and how important is that in today's society? I think it's extremely, extremely important and it's going to change the workplace. It becomes more and more difficult to travel. As we become more global, um, a lot of roles these days are dealing with other countries in different time zones and we're asked to extend our days either earlier or later depending on the continent. So if you want people to work in that way, you need to give them the flexibility. So if I've got calls that start at six, with this stage, for example, I'd like to be at home, at my desk at home, so that when I finish them at eight, I'm already at home. Mm. If I'm in the office and I'm 50 miles away or wherever, then I don't get home to 10 o'clock, and that doesn't make me very productive the next day. So I think it's becoming more and more important. Also, in the business that we're in, um, technology, we make this stuff that enables us to do this and this is what it's all about so i think um it is it's becoming more and more talked about it's more and more important and companies are beginning to proactively offer it i mean i was a home worker for bt many years ago and it was it was a standard in your contract thing with them they were visionaries in Mm. terms of that 
Um, and they're highly thought of yes. to this date because yes. of that. And Dell, yeah. um, you know, and, and you know, these large blue chips who, uh, you know, enable people to work from home and yeah. the trust but also the loyalty mm. that garners in you know, their employees is phenomenal. Yeah, I've heard people say, sometimes when the, when the job is tough, they'll say, oh, it's all a bit tough at the moment, but do you know what? They let me work flexibly, and that's really important to me. And I think that is wor- that's worth money. Mm. People will, are prepared to um, earn less or travel further on the days that they do go into work for the... the um, quid pro quo if you like mm. it and it is a trust thing but in my experience team members that have worked from home and myself you work just as hard if not harder and longer hours yeah not I think definitely off. harder and longer hours mm. actually because you know you, you might not be sat at your desk from nine to you know five but mm. or you know eight, eight till six or whatever the hours are but certainly when you are at your desk the the output I think compared mm. to what it could be like in the office where there's uh, you know, conversations or meetings or interruptions throughout mm. the day, it, the the output that home workers can provide and deliver is fantastic mm. compared. If you're trying to do a really complicated Excel spreadsheet, start, you know, get it together, or you're trying to write a piece of content, mm. you're right. If you're in the office, people want to talk to you. They want to see you. Mm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, but... but <laughs> so you, you kind of, you do the the... The big things like mm. that that need focus you do at home and then when you go into the office it's about I'm available to talk yeah. to people um, and building the relationships build, yes building relationships yeah. absolutely um, what advice have you received from your mentor that made most impact um, my mentor is, is a gentleman and he's always said to me as a woman don't undersell yourself mm. um, and <laughs> I think we do Lots of people talk about guys are better at winging it mm. than women. I don't think it's that we're no good at it. We're... I don't... I, is it, is I think, it, is it higher standards? Higher expectations Your moral compass is own. higher. Yeah. Mar- that's being, maybe that's being a little bit unkind <laughs> to men, but there, there is that fear of being found out, mm. I think, if we're lacking. But often the case is we won't be lacking it's that confidence in ourselves mm. to think I can transfer that skill I can go that next step I don't have to have done it before literally because I know exactly how to do it I've worked for somebody that's done it I've worked mm. alongside somebody that's done it I know what I would do if I was in that position and I think it's having that confidence um, so that was his his advice also in Santa Paul's um, often, how often have you answered that email and you wish you had left it overnight and rewritten it in the morning? Um, in a meeting, I find myself giving someone a solution that I wasn't the one I wanted, whereas if I just kept quiet and asked the question, they might have um, come up with the answer that I wanted or they might have come up with a higher offer or a better deal or a lower price or something. Um, so I think when you're... A cooling off period. That's so it. To speak. Yeah. I was, was going to use the word. <clears throat> yeah, when 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 you want to react, maybe in a negative way, just step back, insert a pause, because you will give a better answer later, and um, you will write a better email later, or you won't send it at all. How many times have you seen what I call a howl around going on on an email? 
Um, and it's because people, first of all, they need to, they need to pick up the phone and talk to each other, mm. but also they need to just insert a pause, um, I think. So uh, those, are, those are two pieces of, of advice. Give me many more pieces, but those are the two main ones. As a woman, don't undersell yourself and insert a pause. Perfect. How important is it to have a marketing mentor and why? Maintains your sanity. <laughs> um, I think when you think that you're going around in circles or you've got it all wrong or you're really unsure and you don't know what decision to make, having someone to talk it through with is good. And also your mentor should be someone who is not afraid to push back at you and to maybe say things that you don't want to hear. It's important that that mentor knows you well enough or is comfortable enough or um, bold enough to do that. You don't want a mentor that just tells you you're wonderful and everything's great and you don't need to change anything. Um, you do need them to do that to give you confidence and, yes, you are going in the right mm. direction sometimes. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a marketing person. In fact, I think it's sometimes better if it isn't because they're looking at it in a way... They're looking at you in the way everyone else in the organisation is looking at you, not your team or mm. not other marketing. Marketers, we sympathise with each other, we empathise with each other, we have the same challenges, we have the same frustrations. Someone outside of the marketing world doesn't, so looks at everything much more on face value, which is how 90% of the people are looking at you. And they'll, they'll often have, um, if you can find someone that's got wide business experience again that's helping you step outside of that marketing conversation mm. so you end up having a business conversation and is what you're doing right for the business or how does the business perceive you and what you're doing and the value and the value so yes Perfect. need them for your sanity yeah um so if you don't already have a mentor how to find a marketing mentor when you're already the most senior marketing person in a business i think i think that goes back to step outside of I would step outside of the marketing mm. um, world and find someone who is a business leader yep. if you can or a sales leader mm. who, who is it that you as a marketing person need to influence work with best with it's often sales mm. have the sales director as your mentor the VP of sales mm. don't even if there is a, a, a marketer more senior than you maybe have having time for two is really quite difficult um, I think it depends on your organisation. But to your point, if you are the most senior, pick another discipline, another field. Mm. Um, and it doesn't have to be... My mentors followed me through my entire career, pretty mm. much, as I came into technology. It's been the same one who's helped me grow. Um, and they um, aren't, weren't in marketing. No. That isn't how I found them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's my, that's my advice. Yeah, that's really or good. Or something that you want to learn. If it's finance, yeah. pick the finance guy. Yeah. I've had the finance director mentor me mm. in a company before, and it was fascinating. Mm. And they enjoy it because they're talking to someone. They love to get hold of the marketing person for a one-to-one yeah. -one conversation. Yeah, Because they're they learning something as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. So also mm. what's happening to my money. <laughs> yes, yes. <So laughs> or our money, sorry. Yeah, pick someone outside yeah, yeah. of the marketing sphere. Win-win. Perfect. Um, what is the book you recommend the most to B2B marketeers today? Okay, it's not a marketing book. Mm -hmm. um, and it's one that my husband gave me 
20 years ago. And it's Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jaffers. And it's been on the bookshelves for a long time. And I'm sure everyone listening to this is going to go, oh, I've heard of that book, yeah. if not read it. It's not a very big read. It's one of those small books you mm. could read on a plane journey. And it was when I couldn't decide on a job role to take. And what this book told me, and I, and I realised that I did that a lot with decisions, mm. that I chaos theoried, um, the decisions all the way through to their conclusion on both sides and what the book tells you is they aren't the wrong decisions they're often both right decisions mm. so just jump in and choose one of them yeah it's like sliding doors i suppose but as long as one of them isn't obviously fundamentally wrong and all your friends and family are telling you not to do it mm. then um just just choose one of them feel the fear and do it anyway yeah yeah, no, that's great. Love it. Um, what passing words of wisdom or advice would you share with our audience? Um, I think if you don't... I've talked a lot about numbers and knowing your numbers. And there will be people, and I've heard it and I've said it to myself, there are no numbers to go on. You've joined an organisation that hasn't yet developed that far, doesn't have a history of numbers for you to look at. Because if you can see the history, you can predict the future. But if you don't have that, then use your best guess. Look up, Google, what's the industry standard for response rates in technology or in what, whatever marketing field you're in. Um, look up what the typical pipeline coverage is that's needed. Guesstimate. The minute you put the numbers up, someone in the room will think they know better or does know better and will give you the number. If they don't, you've used industry standard best practice, your best guess, but you've got to start with something. And then you track, am I anywhere near them? Do they look right? Do they look wrong? If they're wrong, are, we, are they better? Which is great. If they're worse, should we be striving for these industry best practice numbers and how do we get to it? But you've got to start somewhere. Don't wait for somebody to give them to you. If they're not there, make them up. Mm. That sounds Perfect. terrible advice. No, no, but... no, but yeah, well, you know, you, you've got to have a target. Every salesperson yes. has a target, every business has a target. You don't necessarily know where it originates from, but a target is, is a goalpost, yes, isn't it? I it suppose. Is. As long as you're confident enough to uh, evaluate it and challenge it and manage expectations if it's not looking, you know, like, like you mentioned mm. earlier in the interview, if, they, if they've got this big plan and actually the customer base or the demand isn't there then have that conversation early and manage expectation rather than you know continue down a path that isn't necessarily going to be guaranteed which I suppose is using best practice figuring out what's achievable what's mm. realistic and then using that as a benchmark for your own is uh, no no bad advice mm. at all numbers are objective as opposed to subjective mm. you can debate the right blue or the right pink to use in your campaign and neither answer is right or wrong, but the numbers are either right or wrong. Very true. Lovely. Thanks ever so much for your time, Debbie. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Fantastic advice in there for people. My pleasure. Thank you. So there you have it. Career advice from a real marketing expert and leader in the field. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please leave us a review in iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback. 